welcome to the Empower Church podcast. My name is Matt Garner, and I'm the pastor at Empower Church here in Melbourne, Australia. We're so glad you've joined us today, and I am believing that today's message is not only going to inspire you and encourage you, but it's going to empower, equip, and challenge you to be everything that God has called you to be. Hey, if you want more information about what we're up to at Empower Church, just jump on our website, empowerchurch.co, and all the details are there. We really hope that you enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Welcome. I hope you're all doing well this morning. Um, just wanted to say thank you for to tuning in this morning, whether you consider yourself part of Empower Church, part of the family, or maybe you've just been tuning in uh, the last few weeks or maybe even just this morning or you want to say it's such a, um, a privilege to have you um, this morning with us and it is really such a privilege to be able to bring the word with you this morning. Um, as I was preparing for this morning um, and I was just talking to the Lord about what he wanted to share with you all this morning, I felt such a, a pressing on my heart for for this word and that's the best way I could describe it, just like this thing that I couldn't escape. I knew that he wanted me to bring this word to you guys. And we are in an hour where more than ever we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. You know, there's so much going on in the world at the moment, so much noise, so many things that we could be focusing on. But I just really sense that the Holy Spirit is wanting to just shine a light on the church and to just focus on his bride and what he's doing in her at this time. And I, I really sense that there's just so much that the Holy Spirit is doing in his bride. He is purifying her. He is refining her and, and doing so so he can bring her back to for burning first love for him. And I just wanted to read a couple key texts for this morning, just two verses that... Um, I want to bring to you and initially they might not seem connected but as we go along I'll, I'll share how they are connected and the first one is in Revelations 19 6 to 8 and it says then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pearls of thunder shouting hallelujah for the Lord God Almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given for her to wear for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then Malachi 3, 2 to 3, which says, for he is like a refining fire, like launderer's soap, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. And I just wanted to spend a moment focusing on that wedding of the lamb and of the bride. Um, I've been married for nearly three years now, which is crazy to my amazing husband, Isaac. And on our wedding day, it was so, there was just so much joy. There was such celebration in the air. And that's much like many of the weddings that we go to. And I honestly thought I would be a bit of a mess. I thought I'd be blubbering, crying, but honestly, I just had so much joy and I just felt such peace. And there was such a, just a celebration in the air. And you could just sense the pleasure of God on that day. And that is just like a picture of revelations and talking about the union of the bride, which is us as the church, and then the bridegroom, which is Jesus and the lamb. Jewish weddings, just to give you a little bit of context at that time, what would happen is, is a, a bride would be betrothed to her husband, but that there was a, a preparation time um, where they would be preparing the wedding and getting, getting everything ready for that day. And so what would happen is, is she would be, they would be betrothed to each other, but she would stay in her father and her mother's house. 
And as we know in, in many verses in the Bible, it talks about how in a t- at a time unknown and in the 11th hour in the middle of the night that the bridegroom would come. And before that time, the bride didn't know when the bridegroom was going to turn up. She just knew that it was soon. And so during that time, she just had to make herself ready. She was purifying herself. She was going through rituals of, um, yeah, just beautifying herself and making her ready for him. And that really is such a picture of the church and what we are doing and what we need to be doing in this season as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus. And what's interesting is it talks about the bride has made herself ready. So often we talk about God is doing this in the church. And yes, he absolutely is. But I think there's something to be said about the bride making herself ready, which would suggest that we could actually not partner with the Holy Spirit in that preparation. And I just want to talk a little bit about Jesus being our husband. The word and the Bible is full of scriptures and imagery about Jesus being the husband to the church. In Isaiah 54, 5, it says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. In 2 Corinthians 11, 2, it says, For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. You know, the moment we respond to Jesus and the moment we we make him Lord of our life, we actually become married to him. And I was reading about in the text of um, Revelations where it talks about that image of the lamb and just why in that verse they use the lamb being married to the bride. And I believe it's because the sacrificial love that the lamb has for his bride, Jesus died on that cross for us. And we can become so familiar with the language of the cross talking about how he was stripped naked, he was beaten, he was bruised, his blood was shed, his flesh was torn so that we could be in relationship with him. And it was that sacrificial love that causes the bride to love him. That is what causes us to love him. Charles Spurgeon says says this, I had no love to Christ. How could I have till I saw his wounds and blood? This is the language of the Bible. This is the language of of lovers. And my desire for you all is that as you hear this message, you would not just hear another message, but that as we come to a close, that, that you would have a longing, a fresh longing to go away and be with Jesus. I feel like I have not done my job unless there is a hunger and desire in you to to go be with him and that we would consider all other things a loss compared to knowing him. There is such a a strong sense of of a shaking and a shifting and a refining happening in the world at the moment. But I just really feel like how do we become people that are not shaken? How do we become people that remain strong and firm and steadfast when all of this is happening? And I really believe it's through the refining of the bride that that happens. To see and to test what remains in us. And I just really felt this message of the Holy Spirit wanted to fix our eyes on Jesus. And how as the bride we can, one, make ourselves ready and also how we can allow the refining fire of the Holy Spirit to burn a new love in us and to to prepare us for Him and in the hour that we're in. Regardless of whether Jesus does return in our lifetime or not, that is irrelevant in this situation, although somewhat relevant. I just feel like God is wanting to to focus on the bride And, and when we meet Him in heaven, that is that union between the marriage of the lamb and the bride. And I just felt the Lord gave me a few practical keys to ways that we can prepare ourselves as the bride, both corporately and individually. 
And the first one is to return to your first love. Revelations 2, 2 to 5 says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you can tolerate, you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Or in um, other verses, it can say, you have forgotten your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This was a letter, one of the letters to the church in Ephesus. And a similar thing was said of the Levites, as, as I shared in um, the book of Malachi. The Levites were um, one of the tribes of Judah. Sorry, they were one of the tribes in um, Israel and one of the tribes of Jacob. And the Lord had called them separate. He had allotted the rest of the tribes a portion and an inheritance of land. And yet for them, for the Levites, he said, I am your inheritance. I am your portion. And he called them to be priests. He called them to be consecrated unto him, set apart. They were, and their calling as ministers was to minister unto the Lord. And while, yes, they were still tending to the, to the temple worship, there was a, a half-heartedness about it. They had forgotten their first love. And if um, for those of you who might know in Exodus 32, when, when Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai and he was meeting with the Lord to get the Ten Commandments, the, the Israelites grew frustrated and they began to grumble and complain because they were like, where is God? And so they turned to Aaron, the high priest, at that time and said, make us a calf, make us an image that we can worship. And when Moses came down and he saw that, he grew, he grieved and he was so upset and he smashed the Ten Commandments. And it was in that moment that he said, who here will follow the Lord? And it was the Levites who, who came and, and chose the Lord. <clears throat> and that's why I believe that they were, God chose them to be set apart as ministers unto the Lord. But they had grown through a phase where they'd treated the presence of God as common. They'd grown familiar with ministering unto him. And the prophet Malachi was calling them to return to their higher calling. To love the Lord and to minister to him is uh, the greatest thing we could do. It is our highest calling. The presence of God must be our greatest prize. Intimacy with him must be our greatest goal. And I feel like in this season, so strongly that he's calling his bride and his church to return to their first love with him. And I just wanna challenge you this morning, not out of condemnation, but as an invitation to deeper walking with him that if you're not spending time with Jesus, you're in danger of losing your first love. For me personally, just throughout this funny season that we're in, I, I felt many times a battle and a pulling for my attention and for my affection on Jesus. And there's such a a spirit going around that is trying to distract us. And I'm going to be completely honest, um, and this isn't to sound super spiritual or anything like that, <laughs> but there were days where I would even go one day without being the Lord, without being with Jesus, and I could feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever felt that feeling before. But um, when you're intimate with him, when you desire to spend time with him and then you can feel the pulling and the distractions pulling you away from being intimate with him, 
And if you lean into that and I, I could sense I, it was like every, those days that I would not be with him, I would feel grieved. And there is such a, a feeling of resistance and a battle for our attention in this hour. And you might not realize it, but we're in a battle. We're in a, a battle for the, our attention and for our thoughts and for our souls. And this is why more than ever, we need to return to our first love with the bridegroom. He has to be all in all. As Michael Kuliana says, he either is all in all or he's not at all. And that is the challenge for us and for those and for me personally, whenever I hear this language and this talk of first love and love with the bridegroom and you're not in that place of intimacy with him, you can, you'll either feel grieved, which is a good thing. It's the grieving of the Holy Spirit, which draws you close to him or you'll feel uncomfortable and that will either invite you into um, more intimacy with him because it's not about condemnation. It's just about an, an invitation to return. And I, I know for so many of us and I just feel that for a lot of us it's been a really tiring time a really weary season where there's a lot of fear, anxiety, distractions as we've been talking about. And I just keep sensing the, the verse that says, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. He is the only person who can satisfy us. And I just want to share a dream I had last year, and it was actually for a friend of mine, but I felt to share it with you all this morning. Yeah, it was last year in lockdown. Um, and the moment I woke up, you know, when you just know that there's certain dreams that are from the Lord. Um, and it was a dream of, we were in like, I guess a meeting, um, a church meeting and myself and my friend were at the back of a group of people and she when I looked at her in the dream she had like this downcast like it was over, on her body it wasn't just like a sad face she had like this limp downcast look about her and I just knew that she was feeling heavy and burdened by what was going on in the world and in my dream <laughs> I went up to her and I put my hand on her back. And the words that came out of my mouth were, was a, um, a verse we all know really well. And it's in Psalms 23 and it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then I woke up and I was like, oh, that's, I, I couldn't understand. And as I began to unpack it with the Lord, I was trying to speak to him about why that verse in particular was like this moment that was so tangible to her that she just needed that word. And I feel like it's a, um, something that many of us need to hear this morning. And I think something that's really interesting is, is that when we've talked about the table that the Lord prepares for us, I think sometimes we have boiled it down to blessing that God wants to bless us in a season when there is a lot surrounding us. And although that is true, what I know to be even <laughs> equally true is that in the seasons when there is so much happening around us, that he prepares a table and, and what he places on that table is himself. He is true bread. He is true wine. He is water that truly satisfies us and we will never be thirsty. And I just feel for, for those of us who are struggling in this season to come to the well, come to Jesus. He wants to, to lift off those burdens, but it's only through intimacy with him that we can actually walk in true satisfaction and true peace in this time. He wants to be everything to you.
And if you say, well, Beck, I, I can't relate to what you're saying. I don't feel like my love for him is like what you're sharing. I want to encourage you this morning. This is an invitation to return to your first love with him. For me, I know when I'm <laughs> in a good place with the Lord because even the, the when I go into that secret place with him, it's like I just think of his name. I think of what he did on the cross and become so thankful. And when you gaze into his eyes, it's like I just begin to cry. I'm not really a crier, which might sound strange to some because you see me crying maybe in church or just anytime I mention Jesus. <laughs> um, but there's something about the name of Jesus that just I'm so in love with him and I never want to not be in that place. And there's something so special about, you know, going throughout our day and not neglecting him, not forgetting about him. But there's something so absolutely necessary about finding a quiet place and going away in that secret place with Jesus. I want to urge you this morning to return to your first love and I want to encourage us to go back to the beginning Go back to that time when maybe you were first saved or maybe you, if we've been in church for a long time, you know, there comes a time where we we almost rededicate our life to him or we, we say, Jesus, I choose you above everything else. And it's like you feel this, like this fire in you, like this love, this excitement. And with time that can dwindle if you don't stoke the fire. And I just want to encourage us as a church and individually, go be with Jesus. Go back to what you did at first, whatever that was. Eric Gilmore says this, forsaking all others and cleaving only to thee. This is the difference between those who are just part of the church and those who are a bride. Isn't that beautiful? I don't want to just be part of a church. I want to be part of the bride. I want to be the bride. I want to be worthy of him on that wedding day when we come before him. He won't be looking at anyone else. He'll be looking at me. He'll be looking at you. He'll be looking in our eyes with, with holy love. And I want to be able to stand before him and say, I loved you with everything. I want to be worthy of that kind of love, worthy bride. And I just feel like the Lord is burning on people's hearts, a desire for deeper intimacy with him. Let him do a deep work in you, not just today, but tomorrow and the day after and the day after that. And the second thing I feel that we can do as the bride to prepare ourselves is to remove the dross. And it says in, in the verse in Malachi, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. For those of you who, who might not be fully aware of what um, refining gold and silver looks like, Essentially, the, the blacksmith, he would take the gold and the silver and he would put the metal in the fire. And the purpose of putting it in the fire was so that it would bring to the surface all the impurities. And that was called removing the dross. So, yes, it would come, all the dross, would, the impurities would come to the surface. The fire would bring it to the top and then he could wipe it away and what would be remaining was a pure metal, a pure substance. And I just feel like this speaks of purity and a spotless, um, a spotlessness. And I believe that there is a, 
a higher calling in this hour to, to purity and to holiness. And that's always been so important as the bride and, and to Jesus. But I feel like in this time, in this hour, there is no room for any mixture. And, and what the refining fire does in us is it removes all the impurities in our heart, all the things that cause us not to reflect Jesus well. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in us when we walk in intimacy with him, when we're intimate with Jesus and we learn what, what pleases him we start to say, okay, Lord, what, search my heart. Is there anything in me that, that might grieve you? And if there's anything, Lord, take it from me. It's yours. And I believe that God is in the business of purifying his bride. But as I was saying before, the refining process cannot produce lasting fruit if it's not done through intimacy. Otherwise, it ends up being our dead works that produce no real lasting fruit. And I believe he's doing this corporately and individually. He's bringing to the surface things that, that hinder us as the bride from, from walking fully, wholehearted devotion to him. And there is no substitution for purification will either abort the process and in doing so we will end up neglecting the first commandment which is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength. Or it'll lead us into a true devotion and dependency on the one, Jesus. A bride who delights in her bridegroom will delight in that preparation she will welcome those seasons of refining and purifying. Once we experience the true sweetness of the intimacy of Jesus, as I was saying, there comes a thing in us that says, God, if there's anything that separates me from you, Lord, remove it. I want nothing to do with it. I don't want to grieve him. I want to please him. Psalms 24, 2-4 says, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by false gods. This was the heart of King David, a man after God's own heart. He'd experienced such an intimacy with the Lord, such a, um, a, a deep relationship with him. And the same thing happens with us when we start to realize and see how good he is. There becomes the questions in our heart like, how can I be closer to you, Lord? I know for me, I, I think of Moses and I go, God, how can I be like Moses who, who went up Mount Sinai and met with you and Came, he would speak to you face to face like a friend. He got to see the glory of the Lord. How can I be like that? And it's in, it's in there, it's saying those who have clean hands and a pure heart. Clean hands are the, or yeah, are the, are the sins we do with our hands or with our bodies, the external behaviors that we do. A pure heart is the inward motives of our heart. A verse in Joel 2.13 says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Basically what that means was there was, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, whenever they'd um, sinned or, or they were in a grieving process, they would tear their clothes as an act and um symbol of their grief and their sorrow and their repentance. But what happened was is they 
it became common. It became familiar thing and it ended up being a religious act that they started to do. And what the Lord was saying was, I don't care necessarily if you what you're doing on the outside if it doesn't happen on the inside as well. He doesn't want us to just be perfect Christians on the outside, but then on the inside, we're not burning with love for him. It doesn't come from a place of, of that purify my heart, Lord. And King David also said this, although the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. And as the bride, when we begin to make ourselves ready and allow the, that purification process, he will purify us. And when that happens, he'll be able to take us to those higher places, those higher places of intimacy with him. And I'm so thankful that he's patient with us. Am I thankful? <laughs> How many times have we been resistant to, to that purifying or slow to change, yet he's patient? He doesn't expect perfection. All he wants is a heart that is after him. John 15, one to five says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. You are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And Song of Songs 6, chapter 6, verse 3 says, He is within me. I am his garden of delight. I am my beloved's and he is mine. You know, the Lord delights in the work we do when we tend to the garden of our hearts. I love to view my heart as like a garden. Gardens take time. I'm no gardener, but <laughs> I do know a bit about gardening just from my research. And gardening takes ploughing. It takes pulling up the weeds. It takes planting. Growing plants can take months. <laughs> and that's kind of like our hearts. Change doesn't happen overnight. It's a renewal of our hearts and our minds as we're in intimacy and we walk closely with Jesus. It, um, yeah, it's also about capturing all the little foxes. Some of us might think, you know, I'm not in living in direct sin. Anything that keeps our eyes off Jesus is a sin. Distraction is a sin. And, and going through that refining and, and um, pruning, it's for the purpose, yes, to produce fruit that lasts eternal fruit, but it's for the purpose of, of co-laboring with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, and making a, a garden and making our hearts worthy of him. So often when, uh, I know for me growing up in church, when you would hear about fruit and Christians producing fruit, we would almost talk about it as influence, blessing. And yes, that is part of the fruit that, or part of what comes from bearing fruit. But fruit, what it's talking about is fruit that lasts eternally. I think of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think of what the first one, love. You know, if, if we have not love, then we are just like a clashing symbol. Which means that we can do all the good things as Christians, all the right things. We can lay on, we can do the laying on of hands, we can be influential, we can have all these things. And yet, if we do not have love, number one for the Lord and number two to each other, we are like a clashing symbol, which means it's just a noise, it has no lasting impact. Something else that the what the fruit of the um, the the Holy Spirit in us is yes, it produces the the fruit of the Spirit, but it also pre- produces the um, the seven spirits of God in us: the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. This is the kind of fruit that is evidence of the bride in love with the groom. May we not be a people that are resistant to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Would we allow him to do a deep, deep work in us? And look, daily refining, it doesn't always feel like a a super spiritual experience. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It feels like, I know for me personally, (laughs) there's been many times where, you know, we deal with the, the bigger sins. But once we've gotten to a place where we, okay, we've surrendered that, it's sometimes the small things like pride, lack, lack of humility that can arise in us because we can think that we've made it. I want to be a bride that delights in Jesus removing things that stop me from being close with him and stop me from um, reflecting him well. I don't know about you, but I don't want to look like the world. I don't want to talk about the things that the world is talking about. I want to look like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know, when we behold Jesus, we become more like him. We are going from glory to glory in his likeness. And that takes time. Often, (laughs) you know, God can do an instant work. But I think the way he often chooses to work in us is is through relationship. And, And to have intimacy with him means that we go through this refining process because ultimately what he's looking for is for our love. The only way we can remain pure in this hour is to behold Jesus. There are so many distractions, but will we focus on him? Will we allow him to go deep into our hearts and to search the things that maybe we ignore in us? You know, often we (laughs) don't see the things that cause us to not look like Jesus. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. Me personally, (laughs) when I was younger, I was terrible at thinking about things that I needed to work on because I found it much easier to just avoid it, ignore it, because I felt like it was a weak, I hated weakness in myself. I felt like I had to be perfect. But when you focus on Jesus and less on ourselves and we begin to behold him, that's when that work begins to happen because we say, I want to be like you, Jesus. You're so beautiful. You're so worthy. I'm not worthy, yet you call me worthy. Make me more like you, Lord. And he'll start to highlight things to us. Maybe it is pride. Maybe it's 
fear of man. Maybe it's busyness. Maybe it's um, we exalting fear or anxiety in our lives rather than beholding him. Maybe it's gossip. Just things like this which cause us to to hinder our, our deeper walk with Jesus. And number three is we become the offering of righteousness. Both verses talk about the righteousness of the bride. In Revelations, it talks about how the bride is clothed in the righteous act, acts of the saints. And in Malachi, it talks about how um, the Levites will offer an offering of righteousness. We can only be made righteous through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is what his refining fire does in us. And in comparison to God's righteousness, our righteousness is like filthy rags because it's in our own works that we can never measure up to, how, to his goodness, to his holiness. Only God is good. And so that means if there's anything that we do outside of intimacy and first love with him, it cannot be good. Only God is righteous. And we are made righteous by the blood of Jesus. So when we look at him, we can put on the righteousness of Christ. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Romans 13.14 says, Rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Here it's talking about putting on Jesus, clothing ourselves with him. You know, when we get in his presence and when you're beholding him, it's you don't even want to look at sin. Sin becomes so ugly because in the light of his holiness it's so beautiful and it just when we look at ourselves and when we see our mess that is when we go into works but when we look at Jesus and we put him on and apply the blood apply what he did on the cross for us it's there that we're able to walk in righteousness. And I believe that's what those verses are talking about is the righteous acts of the saints. It's really Jesus. <laughs> we can't do anything outside of Jesus. The priests in the Old Testament, to enter into the Holy of Holies, the presence of the Lord, they would bring a sacrifice. They would bring a pure offering as an act of, of worship and, and repentance. And Jesus, in the New Testament, in the new covenant, he became that spotless lamb. He became that perfect sacrifice so that we no longer have to live under the burden of the law, but that we can walk in grace and the freedom that grace brings, not to so we can have an excuse to sin, but it empowers us when we get a revelation of grace, grace because of what Jesus did. It empowers us to live a righteous life. And in the same way, we don't have to bring an offering, a physical offering. We have now become that offering. Jesus, he became that perfect offering. And this is the the, the funny thing is, is that he now longer, we don't require any works to be saved. But instead, all he wants is our hearts. 
And that is now the sacrifice that we bring, is our lives, is our hearts. It's now our lives that we place on the altar, willingly, as an act of our love. And it's only a worthy sacrifice because of Jesus anyway. And yet it's the offering he desires. He desires us. The reward for what Jesus did on the cross is us. And this is why he he longs for all of us. He longs for all of you. It is this first love that causes us to say, Lord, here's my life. Here is all my love. Have it all. Like the Levites, I pray that we would be a people that are set apart for his use. Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Exodus 29, 18 says, And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet, pleasing aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. I want my life to be an offering that pleases him. I want my laid down life to be a fragrance that literally heaven looks at and says, this is the beauty of the cross. Look what the cross does for the bride. It causes her with love to offer up herself willingly. To Samuel 24, 21 to 24. It's talking about when King David, oh, he was so funny. King David, <laughs> he had sinned, basically, to sum it up. And the Lord had asked him to, to offer, uh, to, to build an altar as an offer, offering. And then just in this verse here, it says, I feel like I'm going to butcher this name, but I'll give it a go. Araniah, Araniah, oh dear. Um, he said, why has my Lord, the King, come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David said, so I can build an altar to the Lord, so that the plague on my people may be stopped. Araniah said to David, let my Lord, the King, take whatever he wishes and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering and here are the, the threshing sledges and ox yokes for your wood. Your majesty gives all this to the king. May the Lord your God accept you. But the king replied, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not offer a sacrifice to my Lord, a burnt offering that costs me nothing. An offering worthy of the Lord must cost us something. The spirit of this age and the spirit of a religion says that to be in love with Jesus is foolish. To offer him everything to the point of, of dying and laying down our life completely for him is foolishness. The similar thing was said of Mary when she broke that alabaster jar and poured out her oil offering, a costly sacrifice, a costly offering to the Lord. Many of the, the religious people looked at her and said, it's foolishness. And yet Jesus said she will be remembered for this moment. This is what our love costs us. If we say we love Jesus, 
It has to look like this. It has to be a poured out love. Love for Jesus causes us to be undignified. I know in my own life I still care too much about what people think about me. And I'm really working on it with the Lord because I want to show my love to him as undignified and that I don't care what other people say. I want to be a fragrance to him. Mary knew that her love required everything. She knew Jesus was the Messiah, something that a lot of them at that table didn't notice. But in that moment, she crowned him with a costly fragrance. Would that be us? Would would we allow our lives to be a costly fragrance for the Lord in our homes, in our relationships? Would a fragrance in that be so obvious to the people around us, our neighbours, people we work with? There's a a holy invitation to become a willing love offering all for the one who deserves all of us. You know, it's the paradox of life with Jesus (laughs) when before we knew him, before we gave him everything, we were dead in our sins. And Jesus offers us life eternal, true life. And so we come to him dead and in that exchange, we get life not just life eternally in heaven, but true abundant life here on earth. And yet when we get that life, what he asks of us in return is that we would willingly lay down our life for him to take up our cross and to follow him. That is the calling of us as believers. Fire can only consume what's dead. And to die is to to surrender to Jesus completely. Would we be a people that live on the altar of sacrifice? Deuteronomy 4, 23 to 24 says, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord, your God, that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord, your God, has forbidden. For the Lord, your God, is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Why does God call himself a consuming fire? because he's jealous for us, jealous for all our love, jealous for our attention, jealous for our devotion. He loves us so much that that anything else that we would place even close to him, he is jealous for. His love must consume all of us, every part of us. And this is another way that the bride can make herself ready is by removing all other lovers, all other idols. You know, idols we think of, you know, man-made images. And though we don't bow down to to a man-made image, we definitely bow down to other things, whether it's materialism, whether it's being comfortable It could be a whole range of things. Being distracted is a compromise. He wants to be our all in all. A.W. Tozer says this, God being who he is must always be sought for himself, never as a means towards something else. 
He is so jealous for our love that even being with him as a means to something else hurts him. If we come to him with the intention to ask him something, yes, there is, he, he totally offers that, but he is so jealous for our love that if we come and we pray and we leave without loving him and adoring him, he grieves. I think of John, the Apostle John, who wrote Revelations, who was the one that that was taken up into the spirit and got this revelation of the lamb and the bride and the marriage supper. He was the one that was known to be the disciple that Jesus loved. When it was the Last Supper and the 12 disciples were sitting at a table and Jesus talked about someone in this table, one of you will betray me. And Peter turns to John and says, ask him who it is. John was the one that was already reclining and leaning on Jesus. And it was in that act of intimacy, already so close, that John was able to turn to Jesus and ask the question, who will betray you? Who, who is it, Lord? And it was in that moment that, that Jesus trusted him. So often we come to Jesus to either hear from him or to ask him of something. I remember one time I was in a, in a meeting and I remember being very expectant that the Lord would speak to me. I was really excited. I'd been, you know, fasting and all that kind of thing to hear from him. And I remember being in a moment of worship and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, you want to hear from me so much that you miss me. And I knew he wasn't saying like I've got it completely wrong or that my intentions were wrong or anything like that. But I think what he was, what I really feel like he was highlighting to me was that I had come not even just to be with him, but that I'd come to hear from him. And even that, he wanted to draw me closer, come lean on me. And in that posture of leaning, I will speak to you, but it, we don't come for that. We come for him. All he desires is that our hearts would burn with first love for him. You know, we ask God to use us. We ask the Lord for revival. <laughs> and yet we've forgotten him. We go about our day and we neglect him. I'm speaking to myself too. And I feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit and of the, the bridegroom saying, come be with me, return to me as your first love. I want your whole heart. And if you don't know him this way, you can. I didn't know him this way. I'd known about him. I'd grown up in church. I loved him. And yet it's in the last few years where my eyes have been opened to Jesus and what real intimacy looks like with him. It's not out of religion, you know. Sometimes we say, you know, if we spend too much time with Jesus or too much time, it it's religious. But it's love, it's out of my love for him. You know, I, I'm really myself wanting to return to a time where I would spend hours with him and then to leave him in that specific time with him. I would leave feeling so satisfied and yet I would want five more minutes. This is the invitation I feel like is to us this morning and not just today, but for the rest of our lives that we would allow him to purify our hearts so we burn with first love and so we represent him well and so we look like him.
if you were once burning and now you feel like you've grown familiar, that's okay. He's drawing you. He's drawing you. And if, as I'm talking, you're feeling, I don't know how to go back to that, ask him. We can't even love him without him anyway. (laughs) Ask him. And as I come to a close, I just want to pray and pray that we would be a church that would allow the Lord to consume our hearts again. He wants us. He wants you. There's so much happening, so much noise, but would we lock away and be with him? Would we store up oil like the ten virgins, five were wise, five were foolish, the five wise stored up oil of intimacy, which speaks of knowing him. This is the love he wants. Lord Jesus, we return. We're sorry for treating you as common, for growing familiar with your presence, with the cross. Lord, we just surrender everything right now before you. You're holy, you are worthy. Make us holy, make us a worthy bride, Lord. Lord, would your presence fall upon each person in as they draw away with you. Thank you, Lord. We give you everything. We lay down every other lover. We return to our first love with you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen.